it's a shame that many believers that their prayer life's been reduced to a spare tire. You know, amen. Something that you just haul around in your trunk and you wait for something to break down. Think about it. You don't think about your spare tire. People don't think about a spare tire till you need it. And too many believers, too many people that, that name the name of Jesus, prayer has been reduced to a spare tire. It's something that they say out of routine over their meals. You know, just because it's the tradition to do. And then other than that, they really don't make prayer a priority until the wheels come off of something. But how many of you all know, how many of you know who John Wesley was? John Wesley was, back in the uh, 1700s, he was the man, the, a tremendous man of God, the, 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 the Methodist uh, church. He actually founded the Methodist church. And, uh, but John Wesley said, you know, some people say that they're so busy that they don't have time to pray. He said, I find that I'm so busy that I can't do anything I, that I must unless I spend several hours in prayer. And then John Wesley also said, that, uh, speaking about the importance of prayer, he said, it seems God is limited by our prayer life, that He can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks Him. Now I'm going to tell you what, this is a very controversial, uh, the implications of this statement. <laughs> John Wesley was beyond, beyond his time really with this statement. Because you understand <clears throat> that that Christianity, what is what is referred to as Christianity, and like I said, you that have been here for a while, I say this, <clears throat> I repeat myself, for the sake of guests, I don't even like to use the term Christian or, or Christianity because Christianity is a religion that, man, that men have built around what Jesus did. That's the tendency of men to make to build religions around stuff. Remember when Jesus took uh, Peter and John up on the mountain and He was transfigured before them and, and Moses and Elijah spoke to Him and Peter said, Woo, Lord, it's good that we were here uh, with you. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now that was stupid on lots of levels because He's putting Moses and Elijah on the same level with Jesus, first of all. But you understand that, that you know, God, let, you know, Jesus, Lord, let's make a religion. Let's start creating a religion based on what we've seen here. How many of y'all know there's religions within religions in Christianity, but because there's been a move of God, and so, you know, and maybe it was a legitimate move of God, an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and, and maybe for a time that the Holy Spirit manifested Himself in a certain way, and then and then people got used to it, and then they wanted to build a religion around it. And say, oh, you know, he did it this way, and you know, and we're, and, and, you know, we're, go we're going to just do it this way all the time to try to get that result. And we get religious about stuff when God ain't into religion. God, as a matter of fact, matter of fact, God hates religion, and the meanest people in the world are religious people. Okay, but you understand this: that prayer, it, getting back to prayer, uh, that, you know, is the humanity, the that the, the, the church people who call themselves Christians are separated into lots of different camps and lots of different ways of thinking. But you understand that the majority of, of, of what's called Christianity believes this. And tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if you've not heard this before. That I just believe God's going to do whatever He wants to do and there ain't nothing we're going to do to stop it. If God wants it to happen, it's going to be done. And I've said this when you hear people say, and then you hear some people wax even more ignorant and they'll say, well, you never know what God's going to do. He works in mysterious ways. Guess what? I can tell you what God's going to do. God's going to do His Word. 
God watches over His Word to perform it. Amen? And so, God works it. They're, they're mysterious in that the, uh, the men don't think the way God does. That's why you need to repent and change the way you think. But God's going to do what He said He's going to do. God's going to do His Word. But you understand this. Getting back to, well, I just believe that God, brother, I just believe that God, whatever God wants done, He's just going to do it. Here's a real simple, this is, this is simple, that dispels that theory. Does the Bible say that it is not God's will that any should perish, go to hell, die, live a, a, a sin-dominated life, but that all should come to repentance? Is that the word? Amen. Is it is that God's will? Can we believe that God and that God is so that God is so adamant about that being His will that He was willing to allow the Word to become flesh, His Son, and come to the earth and die and shed His blood on the cross so that humanity could be redeemed and restored to the original intent? Was God serious? Can we deduct that God is serious and that His will is that humanity would be saved? Okay, that's God's will. We can all agree on that. But can we also agree that people die lost and go to hell every day? Every day. People are going out of this world lost. So, in that one example, we can see that there, that obviously just because something is God's will does not automatically mean that it's going to take place on the earth. Because people die lost. His will to all be saved. To all come to repentance and be saved. But people die lost every day. You understand this. Let's go back. We've read this, but we're going to keep this before you. Genesis chapter 1. How many of you know that if you get things wrong, if you get some of the foundational stuff wrong in your theology, then everything you build upon that it has the potential to be skewed and be off. Amen? We need to understand this. Religion, and while you're turning to Genesis, I'm saying religion's intention is to get you off the earth and to get you into heaven. Amen? And God never intended for heaven to be man's dwelling place. Oh, pastor, you're just talking crazy stuff. No, no, no. Let's let the Word determine what our theology is. Let's let the Word say what God's will was because this is what you've heard all your life. Oh, you know, you want to be good. You want to make Jesus your Lord so that when you die, you go to heaven. And we've said this before, but you understand this. You're going to go to heaven for a while. But that was not God's original plan. If, if man being in heaven was God's original plan, then why didn't God just create Adam and place him in heaven? Why go through all the mess of creating an earth, creating a man, putting him in a garden, oh snap, sin entered the world, didn't see that happening. You don't think God saw that coming? You don't think God didn't see that car coming a mile away? Hello? The Bible says that, the, that, the, that Jesus, it calls Him the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. God knew it was going to happen. <coughs> Excuse me. God knew that it was going to happen. God saw that train coming around the bend before He even spoke the earth into existence. God knew, I'm going to create this earth. I'm going to place man upon it. But man's going to fall. And so there's going to have to be a plan of redemption for that, right? Amen? But uh, God created the earth... And he placed man on it. And you need to, we need to realize God's original intention was the earth, the, on the earth that he created. Because you understand this, God lives in the, in the heavens. Amen? The unseen realm, the Bible talks about, you know, Paul talked about the third heaven being the realm of God, right? The first heaven is the, is the sky, the atmosphere of the earth. 
Second heavens is outer space. Paul said, I know, man, whether in the flesh or out of the flesh, I don't know, but he was called up to the third heaven, to the presence of God. So God lives in the third heaven, the unseen realm. You're not going to see it with a Hubble Space Telescope. You know, nobody's going to be peeking through God's windows with a telescope. It's unseen. Does that mean it's not real? No. No, just because you can't see something doesn't mean that it's not real. So God lives in heaven. God's original intent was, I'm going to create the earth in the seen realm, and I'm going to place man on the earth. And God's original intention was was that man would colonize the earth, and that the earth would be a physical, in the seen realm, a representation of just like it was in heaven. Oh, pastor, come on now. What did Jesus tell us to pray? Huh? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. That's God's original intention. And so you understand this, Genesis 1.28. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God gave man dominion of the earth. God gave man rulership of the earth. Is that not what the Bible saying? Yeah. Now understand this. God did not give man ownership. Right. How many of you all know what, what a steward is when the Bible talks about being a steward or a manager? Let's put it this way. If you own a business, if you own a restaurant or if you own a retail store or you own you know, some type of agricultural business, you name any kind of business, say you own a business. You own the property, you own the building, and everything that's in the building. But say, you don't want to micromanage everything. You don't want to have to take oversight of everything. And so you look for a manager, right? You look for someone that's capable and competent to be a manager, and you hire them in, and you say, I'm placing you in authority over, the, over my possessions. And I want you to manage them, and, and that person, you tell them how you want to manage the business, right? Everyone, anybody in here that's ever worked in any job in any level of management, when you're moved into management, they're going to pull you in, and they're going to tell you what the company vision is. They're going to tell you what their philosophy of management is. They're going to tell you what the company goals are and how they expect you to pursue those goals, right? Is, is that not right? But they place you, but you don't own it. But let me ask you this. Is it uncommon... When a store does well, when a business does well, and someone's in management over that store, if the business does well and the business prospers, doesn't the person that's in management usually reap the benefits of that also? Aren't there bonuses? I mean, your salary comes from that. Amen. Right? You, you, if you're running a business and it does, sorry, <laughs> you're not going to be drawing. You're not going to be drawing a salary very long, right? But bonuses. That come about from that. In other words, so there's benefits for being a manager over someone else's possessions. Something that somebody else... And you understand this, is that the manager, when he walks in the store, even though he don't own it, everybody in the store understands his authority, right? That's the manager. He might not own everything, but he's the manager. And he's the one that the owner's placed in authority over this to run it. Okay? And so let's just make it clear, is that God... Gave man the, the, he gave man dominion and rulership over the earth. Amen. Psalms 115, 16 says, The heavens, even the highest heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he hath, hath he given to the children of men. 
God gave Adam, He gave Adam, and He gave Adam's descendants, He gave them the earth as a habitation. That was God's original intention. And so we understand this, is that as God gave that to Adam, He gave him that authority over it. You understand that... Now, this is an ideal world, okay? You understand that the owner, if if he is a... How many of y'all ever heard the term absentee landlord, okay? Now, this is a term that a lot of people in, in religion, they, they fly off. I'm not saying God's an absentee landlord because God's here. Right. Amen? Where can you go to escape His presence, right? But in the concept, I'm saying if, if a owner... Let's put it this way. And I'm not saying this about God, but just so you understand what I'm what I'm saying about the concept. Say somebody just has deep pockets, and I say say I don't know nothing about um, running an agricultural business. Okay, I don't know nothing about. It. I don't have a degree. I've not had any training in agriculture. I've not had any experience in working it. But just say you know I had a, some deep pockets, and I saw an op- and I saw an opportunity where you know what. Um, we're living in this area where it's where agriculture is number one industry, and uh, I think you know I think we could do well. And so I'd begin to look for someone that was trained in agriculture and had experience in agriculture businesses that were related to agriculture. And I find that person, and I interview them, I talk to them, I tell them what I can do. I find out, hey, they know what they're doing, they want to operate it, okay. And if I say, okay, you know what, I don't know anything about agriculture. All I know about is making money. I'm going to hire you to be the manager of this business. And as long as it makes money, you run it. As long as you've given me quarterly reports and this up, 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 and we're making money, we're good because I don't know anything about this, and I'm turned over to you. So in that, in that circumstance, would the owner come in that has a, a manager who's trained and knows what to do in that specific field of business and then just come in and try to start telling him what to do? Not if he's smart, right? Why? Because you've got the, you hired this person because their expertise was in that field. Now, understand this, and I do want to say this, because sometimes people, and there's a chance someone's going to listen to this message online or hear, hear, hear the CD and take something out of context. Oh, you thinking God don't know nothing about running the earth? No. I'm saying this for the principle of when you... <clears throat> one of the purposes of delegating authority to someone is so that you don't have to micromanage stuff. Is that, is that not, I mean, is that not one of the, the main things about delegating authority to someone is, I'm giving you authority so that I don't have to be concerned with it. It's like as this church grows right now, you know, taking care of the lawn, trying to maintain the inside of the building, you know, hey, guess what? I'll give that, I'll give that to my employee. Amen, guess who my employee is. Amen, right here. How many of y'all know, though, as this church grows, as the church grows and... I have more responsibilities, and I and I would and, and ideally I could focus more of my time on other stuff. If I have someone to say, you know what, I'm going to make you, I want to hire you, bring you in, and I want to delegate authority to you for the maintenance of the facilities and the grounds to you. Then guess what? I'm doing that so that I don't have to be concerned about going and getting gas, going and getting weed eater string, making sure the belts on the lawnmowers are right, doing this, doing that, buying cleaner and dust my, and all this stuff. Why? Because I delegate that authority to that person so that I don't have to take the responsibility for it. Okay? Now you understand this. God, I've said all that to say this, is that God created the earth. God wanted to colonize the earth. God gave man dominion and, he, and God delegated His authority to man. He said, I'm giving you the earth to manage on my behalf. And according to my word. 
So God gave man dominion. God delegated His authority. God didn't give up His ownership of the earth. And God didn't, and God, and God did not surrender, God gave dominion to the man. God didn't surrender His ownership or His right to, to have say over it, right? But He did give the, the authority of man on the earth to be a steward and manage the earth. Okay, Pastor, I thought we were talking about prayer. We are. This is very important. Why does God want us to pray? Back to the two popular, you know, to the most popular you understand you understand that people that think the way we think and believe the way we do, we're in the minority. Because I'll guarantee you the majority of Christians, people who call themselves Christians, you ask them, Will God you know, does God does God you know, does can he just do whatever he wants to? Oh yeah, God can do anything he wants to. And he can't. God is obligated to his word. When God puts it out there, God's not gonna be look God you understand God doesn't have uh, a he doesn't God doesn't have a lawyer on a retainer in heaven trying to figure out a way to find him a loophole to talk himself out to, to get himself talked out of something that he's already said he'd do. <clears throat> the Bible says that he's faithful even when we're unfaithful. God's faithful. God says his word <clears throat> and God intends to keep it. And so the point is is that God he, his original intention was to put man on the earth to have dominion over the earth and to rule the earth and to colonize earth so the earth would be, thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. That man would be submitted to God and obedient to God. Amen. And so you understand this? Is that that being established, this is why prayer is important. Because God is not just going to be coming in and just doing things. You understand this. Like I said, I've been reading, I've read some stuff, man. And you understand, there'll be people, there'll be Christian people. There'd be pastors that'd be ready to call me out on the parking lot for what I'm teaching you. Right? Oh, brother, that's heresy. God gonna do whatever God wanna do. Really? You know? Some people say that. You say, won't God make you pay your tithes? Boy, that'll shut a bunch of them up, won't it? Boy, and the, and the stones started dropping, right? Plunk, plunk, plunk. Like when Jesus said, you're without sin, cast the first stone, right? You understand this? Is that, that God, because He gave Adam the authority on the earth, and man the authority on the earth, God has everything He does, God uses man. You understand when I say man, I mean man or woman. Because the Spirit, the spirit is man. The wrapper you're in, just determines who you, who God intended, you know, what sex God intended for you to hook up with to make more little uh, dominion people on the earth, right? But when we're talking about man, the spirit of man's the same. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, right? The spirit, the spirit is man, and so everything God has ever done on the earth, He did through the man. Why? Because because that's what He established. All pastor. I don't believe that. Really? Okay. What about Abraham? God knew, okay, from the foundation of the earth, that God needed that, there, that the seed, he prophesied, remember in the garden? When sin came in, when the serpent deceived Eve, and, and God spoke to Adam, he spoke to Eve, and he spoke to the serpent, who the devil used, and he said that the seed, God prophesied back in Genesis, I'm going to bring a seed that's going to crush your head, but you'll bruise his heel, but it's coming. And so, because of that prophecy, God looked for a man to enter covenant with 
that He was going to bring the seed that He prophesied into the world. God needed a man. Why? Because God gave dominion on the earth to men. Okay? And so, God looked for a man and He found an Abraham. When God wanted to enter into covenant and bring forth a nation of people through which He could bring the seed that was going to crush the serpent's head, God looked for a man. And He found one. He found Abraham. And God entered into covenant with him. So God worked with a man. Then, you know, over 400 years later, the descendants of Abraham, the children of Israel, you know, he had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was Abraham's grandson whose name was changed to Israel, which means Prince of God. Huh? God's intention for us all along is your royalty. If you're the child of a king, you're royalty. Amen? So Jacob was Israel, and so the children of Israel, the prince of God, were in captivity in Egypt. Now, why couldn't God just went, ooh, hocus pocus, they're out. Why couldn't, why couldn't God just, oh brother, God's going to do anything God want to do. God's going to do what He wants to do. He's, God's going to do His Word. He's going to perform His Word, but He's going to perform His Word through man. God needed a man, and God looked for a deliverer. God found him a Moses and sent Moses into Egypt, and God worked His will that was as it was in heaven on earth through a man to deliver a nation. I'll one-up you from that. Abraham, Moses, when God wanted to redeem all humanity, God needed a man. So God said, I'm going to send the Word... And the Word's going to become flesh and dwell among them. And so God, remember the angel came to Mary and spoke to Mary and said, said, you're going to conceive and you're going to bring forth a son. And she said, how is this going to happen? I've not known a man. And, he, and, and the angel said, the Spirit of the Most High will come upon you and you'll conceive. And that which you'll bring forth is going to be holy. But guess what? Jesus, the Word, to have, to have, and this is a word, people, people can get all hung up on this if they want to. I'm what I'm about to say, legal entrance. What do I mean legal entrance? Oh, God owns it. This, that's another word people get, they'll get fighting mad with you. What do you mean? God don't need, God's got a legal right to do whatever He wants to. No, God's gonna, for God to do things right. Remember this, God's not a man that He should lie. Nor the Son of Man that He should repent, change His mind. Okay? So God has established this. God said that man's got the authority on the earth. God couldn't just step out and go, oh man, y'all made a mess of this whole thing. I'm just going to have to take over. Huh? God didn't do that. But God, He had the plan. He prophesied the seed. And God, so God, to do what He needed to do on the earth, He He brought the Word, He brought Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became a man. The Word the eternal Word of God became, for 33 years, became the, the Son of Man so that He could accomplish the will of the Father on the earth. Now, I've said all this to say, to show you God needs man to do, to carry out His will on the earth because God's placed man in that position of authority on the earth. God delegated that. So if we're, and so if we're submitted to our King, amen, then we're going to do God's will. But prayer, amen? Turn to Luke chapter 18. The high priority of prayer. Amen? Is that, too many, like I said earlier, too many believers use prayer as a spare tire. They wait for the car to break down, then they go to their trunk and they jack it up, amen, with prayer, and they break out their prayer lug wrench, and they break the, break the lug nuts off, and they break out their, spare, their prayer spare tire. 
And they put it on, and then, other, then they go to the shop and they get a new tire, and they throw the spare in the back. And, and you know, <laughs> let me ask y'all this. Any of y'all ever had a, a time when you got a flat tire, and uh, you got out, and you went to pull your spare out, and you found out it was as flat as the one that was on the car? Some of y'all know where I'm going with this. I'm going to tell you what, if you don't maintain... How many of y'all know spare tires need maintenance too? And there's going to be a time when people are going to, they're, they're going to have a blow, they're going to spiritually, they're going to have a blowout, and they're going to go to their trunk, and they're going to try to pull out the jack, the lug wrench, and the spare tire, and they're going to find out their spare is flatter than the tire that blew out on them. Hmm. How many of y'all know that we need to be making, our, making it a habit that we're praying? Amen. We need to be Luke chapter eighteen, verse one, starting with verse one. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man, and there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary, and he would not for a while. But afterward he said to himself, within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because the widow, this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord, and the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, when, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. What I want you to see here is that he sp- understand what's the purpose of this parable. Let's go back. Let's go back and read that first verse. It says, "And he spoke, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought to always pray and not to faint." Okay. Let's look at this real quick. It tells me a couple of things that that number one, God has a, you know God's telling us you ought to always be praying when you get up in the morning, when you're going through your day. When you're getting ready to eat, when you're getting ready to go to bed, that you're praying. I understand. You know, understand this. First, I'm just going to cite this. First Thessalonians five seventeen says, "Pray without ceasing." Pray without ceasing. And I've mentioned this before, and I won't. I, I'll use this as an example again. Any of you that have ever did very much text messaging, especially if you have a smartphone, I could pull. I could go to my office and get my uh, cell phone for you right now, and I could show you conversations. They call them threads. When you send someone a text. And they send a text back, and then you text them again, and they text you back, and you text them again. It's, they, it's, they call that a thread, a texting thread. And I could go to my office right now, and I could pull out my phone, and any of the threads that I've not deleted, I could show you entire conversations that I've had with people, text messaging back and forth, some that start, some uh, conversations that started at 9 o'clock in the morning, and some of them that maybe we finished up at 9 o'clock at night. Some of them that maybe carried over into a couple of days, but it was a running conversation because I'd say something to them, they'd say something to me, and it might be two, three hours later, they'd come another response, and I might get the message an hour later, and I'd text back. And I used this example, and I said that if you'll notice, you, you look at those threads, and you, before you realize it, you've gone through a whole day, and you've carried on a whole conversation with someone. Pastor Earl and I will do this a lot sometimes. We'll text back and forth with each other. And I've got other friends that we'll text with each other. And over the course of a day, maybe just because we've taken a few minutes at a time and communicated with each other, 
But because we do that over the course of a whole day, and we make a, there's been a whole conversation take place. There's some people who say, "My God, Pastor, how did you know, pray without ceasing? How in the world am I supposed to do that?" Just like you do a text message. Just like you, you know, get up in the morning, pray, take some time, pray. Oh, you know, Lord, I thank you, Father. Thank you that my steps are ordered you today. Thank you that I hear your spirit. Thank you that I'm led by you. Father, pray for my family. Pray for my church family. That, you know, and pray, okay? And you're going on your way. Maybe you're driving down the road. And hopefully you're saying Jesus, and it's not because people are cutting you off. Pulling out in front of you, okay? And you're taking time while you're praying to talk and communicate with God and making your spirit sensitive to Him, okay? So that we're always to pray. But understand this, Jesus said that men ought to always pray and not faint. So the other thing this verse tells me, the first thing this verse tells me is that God, that God has an expectation that we'd always pray, that we'd pray without ceasing as it said over in Thessalonians, but also that in our prayer life there's going to be an opportunity to faint. Huh? How many of y'all know there's a long time between... Sometimes, sometimes there can be a long time. And this is the... This is, anybody tell you, anybody who wants to sit down and tell you, oh, I know everything about the Bible. Let me explain this to you. Well, you ought to go to elevate to yellow alert. Mm-mm-mm. Okay? Why do some people get hands laid on them and they get healed instantly? The manifestation happened instantly. And why do some people get hands laid on them and it maybe take days or weeks or months or years for a healing to manifest. I don't know. But all I know is that God said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen. Right? Okay? But you understand this. <clears throat> maybe one factor, I'm just saying maybe, okay? Maybe one factor is that God knows the one person. Have you ever noticed that sometimes baby Christians can receive stuff quicker than people that have been in the way for years? Amen. Or on the way. Amen. Some people have been in the way for years. <laughs> Amen. But people that have been that have been followers of Christ for years, and have you ever wondered that? How many of y'all know? Sometimes God might know that they're just spiritually they're just a baby. Sometimes it's because they've got pure faith, because they've not matured and mellowed out and, and become a mature believer. All that jumping, all that shouting, all that dancing and rejoicing before the Lord. You know, I've calmed down some. Too many of us, uh, uh, too many believers, they say they've calmed down some, and really they're just dead. Amen. You remember how, let me just ask, you remember how when you first got saved, you first got filled with the Holy Ghost, and you first got a revelation that, that, that God was on your side, and that God, that God wanted to prosper everything you put your hand to, and God wanted you, that God's expectation and His, and His word to you was to prosper you and not harm you, and boy, woo! Hallelujah! You'd go to church and praise and worship and start up, and you couldn't hardly stand still. Now we go to church and, and the praise and worship leader has to get a mason jar and pour some water down top and hit that pump, huh? And get you all pumped, get you primed and get you pumped to get you to do something. Maybe by the third song, people will raise their hand. Amen. But we're mature in our faith now. Amen. We need to get some of that back in the church. Amen. Some of us, we need to look back and we need to remember what a mess we were in and look back at the times when I think about the Lord and what He's done for me. Huh? What was that old song you say? When I think about your goodness and what you've done for me, it makes me want to dance, 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 dance. Hallelujah. And remember, it's good to look back every once in a while and look at the victories that God's done for you and get excited and shout and praise because that's what David, when da- you know, the Bible says, you know, what does faith eat? I've said this before. How many of y'all remember me say, what does faith eat? Faith eats lions and bears. And some of you are going, what do you mean faith eats lions and bears? When David went out to face Goliath 
Amen. He looked at Goliath, and all the rest of the men of Israel were hiding back in the camp, shaking. Oh, there's giants in the land. Oh, you know, hiding. And David went out, and David, he looked at Goliath, and he said, what? Who is this uncircumcised man? And he's like, what is this guy? He doesn't even have a covenant. Who is he that's going to come out and he's going to defy the armies of the living God? And David said, he can't, and Goliath's talking his trash, and David's talking the word. Huh? Some of us, we need to get a hold of that. When the devil's talking trash to you, you need to start talking the word. Huh? I heard a minister one time said, don't ever run toward your giant with your mouth shut. Mark Hankins, he said, he preached a sermon one time, don't run toward your giant with your mouth shut. Cause the giant's talking trash, you need to be speaking the word. And David, and what did David say? David told Goliath, he said, the same God, he said, the same God that delivered the lion and the bear into my hand will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand also. What did he do? He looked back at his past victories, the past faithfulness of God, the times that, the other times in his life, when he looked back, it didn't look like he's gonna make it, and God was faithful, and he stirred himself up, and he, and, and so he fed his faith with bringing into remembrance the past acts of God's faithfulness to him in his life. Amen? But you understand this, that he would have had, there's an opportunity to faint. When you're praying, and you understand this, pray, Hello, sometimes you just gotta do defining terms. When you're praying, it's just, you're basically, you're communicating with God. Amen. You're talking to God about something. Amen. And so what Jesus is saying here, He says that men ought to pray always and not faint. Faint, you understand this, faint can, can mean that you come to a point of, of physical failure, physical fatigue, you can even go, you can faint to the point to where you lose consciousness as a result of deprivation of nourishment or because you become overcome with heat or something. So in other words, when you faint, something has overtaken you. You've lost your strength. Amen. What the Bible says over in Proverbs 24:10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. In other words, and you understand this. This is the thing. One of the things that. Somebody, people are misrepresenting the Bible if they tell you once you get born again that it's all, you know, peaches and cream and you're going to walk on flowery beds of ease. That's wrong. That's not biblical. But it is biblical to say that when tribulation comes, you can be of good cheer because Jesus overcame the world and the same victory that He's walked in, He's promised you. And if you, if you'll keep yourself, your strength in Him, Amen, you'll be able to go through it. Praise God. If, but He said, Pray and not faint. <clears throat> if you faint, your strength's small. Right. Now that's not an insult. Some people say that's an insult. Yeah, because have we all? Has there been times in our lives that we've fainted? There have been times in my life I fainted. I'm just going to be honest. My strength in that particular area is small. And you know what? There's no shame in that. Amen. The shame is, is if you faint and you just lay there in the dirt and let the buzzards come pick the meat off your bones. Huh? Righteous man falls down and he gets up, right? Praise God. You get back up. You dust yourself off. You press back into it. You refresh yourself. Amen. You understand this? What's the What's the problem if you faint? Huh? We, you know, sister. You know, we had a lady here in the church uh, uh, this weekend that she had some physical problems in her body and she was under attack and she didn't necessarily uh, uh, faint. 
She may have, as a result of something, fainted. And guess what? She fainted. She's standing on the, on the sidewalk and she falls off backwards into the parking lot and hits her head. I mean, it's, I mean, and they were concerned maybe she got injured that way. Well, guess what? When you faint, you're risking a chance of injury. Right? In the natural, spiritually, if you faint, you're risking the chance of injury or loss. Because you grow, you grow faint, you grow weak. And, and this is the thing, you know, we, you need to make sure you understand this. Galatians 6 9 says that we'll reap. He's talking about, you know, sowing to the flesh and sowing to the Spirit. And he said, if we sow to the Spirit, and praying is one way of sowing to the Spirit, if we sow to the Spirit, you know, we'll reap. And he said, he said, and we'll reap if we faint not. Amen. Go ahead and turn, I'm turn there real quick. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and I'll start with verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Here's a little side note for you. Church I grew up in, man, every time they read that, they were talking about, yeah, you do something bad, you're going to reap hell, brother. Look out! Here it comes! The devil's going to get you. Amen? But that's not what it says. It says, it says whatsoever a man shows, sows, he shall reap. So that tells me, yeah, there's bad stuff, and I don't want to sow that because it'll bring a harvest, but it's also telling me that if I do right and I sow good things, that I can believe God for a harvest of those too, right? right. Amen? So what does it say? It says, He who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not faint. Amen? New King James says, lose heart. In other words, God's, you've prayed, and you understand this, this is the context, really, of prayer. You, your prayers don't mount to a hill of beans if you're not praying what God, the Word of the King is on it. Because you can just make up something. Huh? You can, just, you, know, you can just yank something out of the air and make something up, and you can pray it all you want to. And if it happens, it's just a coincidence. <clears throat> and I won't get into it, but could the, de- could the devil... You know, Brother Hagin said this one time, sometimes the, the devil... Would could afflict someone, you know, through witchcraft. Someone could be afflicted in their body, sickness or disease. And he mentioned, you know, you maybe see this in in certain indigenous tribal areas, you know, where missionaries would go in, where someone would be sick, and then the witch doctor would come and 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 go through their little religious gyrations, and the person's symptoms leave them. And so it looked like that that witch doctor did something to heal the person. And someone will say, well, they got healed. Wasn't that good? Well, no, because the whole village now is under the influence of a, of a demon-possessed and a demon-communicating witch doctor because the devil didn't care to take the sickness and disease off the person to put, put the witch do- make the witch doctor look like they were someone of spiritual significance that could enslave the whole village. But you, but you understand this? That we're talking about not, not fainting... Amen. Is that you don't you don't want to faint? Okay. The devil. The, when you're praying, there's going to be opportunities for things to fall off. What what I was saying was, let me finish that thought. Let you know to tie that back in. Thank you, Lord, for helping me there. <clears throat> is that you? Is that someone can you can someone can pray something that's not the word? Talking about prayer and praying the word. Someone can pray something that's not the word, and if it's a situation that the devil's orchestrated, you can pray something that's not scriptural. And to enslave you in false beliefs, the devil might even... You see, the devil, you know, this is the thing. He's stupid, but he's not inexperienced. Okay? He's been, he been doing what he does for a long time. What I'm saying is, is you, you can pray... Someone go, well, I prayed something, and I prayed for this to happen. And, and they're telling you they prayed for something to happen, and you know it ain't even biblical. 
It's not scriptural. You don't have, there's nothing in the Word to support it. But they'll go, oh, but I prayed for it. And it happened. Okay? Maybe it was a circumstance talking about you know, the example that I gave you of, of the witch doctor. Maybe it was a circumstance in which the devil <clears throat> directly had his hand in it causing the situation. And maybe you prayed something that was an erroneous, unscriptural, unbiblical prayer. But the devil knew, you know what, if I release that and I let, you know, and it goes back to the way they're thinking, um, then I can trap them in false doctrine. The old bait and switch. I hope, you, I, I, I hope you all understand what I'm saying this morning. Are you, are you getting this? Is that sometimes you can pray something that's not biblical because you understand this, the key to effective prayers are biblical prayers and finding out what is the word of the king. But sometimes the devil doesn't care. The devil doesn't care to let go. How many of you all ever played chess? Okay? Sometimes the devil doesn't care to sacrifice a pawn if he can get you in checkmate. Devil doesn't care to give up a pawn or give up a rook or give up a knight if it'll make you, you know, if it if it'll make you make a, an assumption or make a move spiritually that's going to give him the ability to put you in check. He'll sacrifice, he'll sacrifice a little piece to get you off in, 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 into a false doctrine that has the potential to keep you trapped for years. Are there believers that are living that way now? Yes, yes. But if you're going to pray, the first thing about prayer is, is that our prayers have to be biblically based. You, and you understand that if we're praying, and we're praying the way God wants us to, you need to pray the Word. That's, that's another reason you need to know, know the Word. What's the Word of the King on it? Because this is the thing. I'm not trying to talk, when, when people are talking about confessing the Word, and speaking only the Word, and saying, you're not, you understand, that you're not trying to talk God into anything. Huh? You're not trying to talk him into it. You're trying to find out what has God already said about this circumstance that's raised up in my life that's contrary to what the king's already said. What's the king said about it? And I need to find his word, and then all that needs to come out of my mouth is what the king said. Doesn't matter what the circumstances, the king said this. And I believe it. And I'm gonna, that's what's gonna be in my mouth. And when the circumstances rise, I'm gonna speak the word of the king. Cause you're not trying to manipulate God, you're really trying to position yourself. You're bringing yourself... Because this is the thing we're going to talk about. Remember, what does righteousness mean? It righteous, righteous is not a religious term. Righteous mean, is a legal term. It means in right standing with the ruling authority. And if you're in the kingdom of heaven, what we're doing when, we are say, when we're confessing the Word is that is not an attempt to manipulate God and put, God, uh, you know, you know, put some pressure on God so that God does what He says He's going to do. No, 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 no. That ain't what you're doing at all. What, what we're doing when we read the Word, hide the Word in our heart, and speak what the King says about it, believe it in our heart and speak it, and that's only, and that's all I'm going to speak. And if a thought comes to my mind that's contrary, not going to speak it. What's the Word say? And, and make yourself believe that in your heart and speak with your mouth. Why? Because that's an attempt not to manipulate God, but to bring yourself into right standing with what does the King say. What did the King already declare about this? Because that's what I'm going to speak in this situation. Amen? So we don't get deceived. Understand this, that the, the fainting is a huge... Obviously, for Jesus to mention this, fainting or losing heart, as the New King James says, losing heart is one of the greatest potential problems that you'll face in your prayer life. You pray for something. Let's go through the scenario. You, pray, you, you find the Word of the King on something. Word of the King says, by His stripes I'm healed. Word of the King says that He supplies all of my needs according to His riches and glory. 
if you're being obedient in giving. Amen. Let me say, let me say this just for a minute. You know, Pastor, sometimes God help me. Sometimes the gears get to turning too much. But I want to say this to people. You know, there's a big argument. You start talking about being a doer of the Word to get the blessing of the Word, and people go, oh, you think you're into that works religion. You think you get saved by works. No, 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 no. You think, okay? And have, how many of you ever heard that before? Okay? Understand this. Do we believe that the Old Testament is type and shadow of the church? That when we look at the nation of Israel, they were God's covenant people, that that's a type and a shadow of the church in the New Testament, God's covenant people, right? Okay. Let me ask you this. Israel, when they sinned against God and blessings were withheld and the blessing of God didn't come, they were still God's covenant people. They didn't lose their covenant status. They were still His covenant people. God even told, spoke through one of the prophets and said, My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Okay? So when we come back, and so using that type and shadow of the Old Testament and looking at the church, can we conclude that it is possible for someone to be born again, be in covenant with God, but because they're disobedient to the Word in certain areas of their life, they're not walking in the blessing of it. And so, just so you know, when we're talking about this, and if somebody, you know, if you're trying to share and witness with someone, don't let them say, well, you know, you just believe in that work salvation. No, 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 we don't. Salvation is by, it's by grace through faith, amen, that you get saved, faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that you're even brought into covenant with Him. But, the, but now walking in the blessing, if you're willing and obedient, you eat to give the land. If you're willing and obedient, you walk in the blessings. It doesn't do anything to affect your covenant status, but it, it affects the degree of the blessings that you can walk in. Right? Amen? And so understand this. Pray. Jesus said that men ought to always pray and faint not. Be persistent. Be consistent. Stay after. That's what the widow did, right? The widow, she, she, she kept coming and coming and coming. Now you understand this, is that this doesn't necessarily mean that, and I'm trying not to get too anal about stuff, spiritually anal. When you go to God and you find something in the Word and you say, God, this is your Word and I believe it and I'm asking you to do this on my behalf. Okay? When you go back and you pray about the situation again, and like I said, I'm trying not to be just too ridiculous about this, but maybe this will help you. You don't have to ask Him to do it again because that acts, because that whether you realize or not, sometimes that might imply that you think that he's not going to honor his word. Okay, this is just one. This is one of those little areas. Maybe this. Maybe you can tweak something. Maybe you can tweak something in your prayer life, and you'll get some help. It's like if you told your child, you know, if if Jimmy told uh, little James, James, you know, next year you're going to be five years old, and mommy and dad, we're going to take you to Disney World. And he said, oh, Daddy, you said you was going to take me to Disney World. And then every day he came back and said, Daddy, are you still going to take me to Disney World? Daddy, are you still going to take me to Disney World? Daddy, I know you said you were going to take me to Disney World when I turned five, but are you going to take me? Daddy, are you going to take me? What would you think? You think, what? I told you I was. Do you think I was lying to you? Right? Son, I told you I would. I told you I would. Now you understand that children, you tolerate that. You're not going to rebuke your kid and go, in the name of Jesus, I already told you. Just thank me for it from now. I mean, yeah, you can do that, right? Okay? But, but, when we pray to God and we're going consistently in our prayer, 
And Kirk said he Kirk says he does, and that's good. You, you just train your child up from the beginning, and you don't have to worry about straightening out their thoughts when they get older, right? But when you go back to God and you're continually in your praying, you understand this, and, and there's no way we're going to get to it this morning. But giving of thanks is a form of prayer. Over in Second Timothy, we talked about this uh, on Wednesday night when we were going through uh, Timothy. That what we call prayer, you realize, you know, that that verse in Second Timothy chapter uh, chapter two, verses one and two, tells you there's at least four different types of prayer, but it's considered prayer. So give and giving of thanks is one of those. And so when we go back to the Father and we pray, when we go to the King, after you've asked, after you've found it in the Word, you've asked Him for it once, then when you pray, you say, Father, I thank You. Your Word says, and I just believe that it's going to come to pass, and I thank You for it. I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you just don't go back and keep asking because you don't want to be coming across like, I don't believe Your Word. Nope, I've seen it. I've got the Word of the King. I just thank You for it. I thank You for it, Father. Father, I thank You. You know, when, you, when you're looking at the checkbook and the bills look like they're more, Father, I thank You. Your word, you said you'd supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. I thank you for it, Lord. And that's all I'm going to confess. Amen? Praise God. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Understand this. The opportunity to faint. Turn to Acts chapter 3 real quick. Praise God. Y'all in trouble now. If that's doing one service, I might just preach till 1 o'clock. Glory to God. Acts chapter 3. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this and uh, and follow Pastor because sometimes if some someone how many of y'all have ever done this before someone can be in the middle of a comment and how many of you ever had this happen before that you're saying something and that before you can finish the thought and you can finish the statement somebody goes to a certain point with you and then they check out and they finish your your comments based on assumption. They don't hear what you're saying. They just go so far with you, and then after they go so far, they start hearing Charlie Brown's teacher. And they're filling in the blanks. They're assuming they'll, they'll go so far with you in a statement, and then they'll stop, and they'll assume that you're saying something. Okay, that being said, um, how many of you all know that you know, if we like vacations? Praise God. Vacations are a good thing going I'm going to say this. A believer should never go on a vacation because this, this should never be the reason that, the, that a believer goes on vacation. I just got to get away and get refreshed. I just got, oh, I just got to get away from everything. That should never be your motivation for a vacation. Your motivation for a vacation should be, should be you know what? I want, see, now some of you, some, some, or some of you here, already, right? Stay with me. Remember what Pastor said, stay with me. Your motivation for going on a vacation should be, you know what? I want to go spend some time with my loved ones. I want to go spend some time with my family. I want to go do something that's fun. Maybe it's a, it's a change of venue. We go someplace different. We go do something fun and we enjoy ourselves and we make memories together that we're going to look back in years that we're going to enjoy. Okay? I'll say this. If a, if a believer, if you're feeling faint and overwhelmed and beat down and like you can't take it, here's your solution. Amen? Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, and remember that. Repent means change the way you think. Right? Change the way you think. And how many of y'all know that's not something that you do one time as a believer? Now, to be born again, it, 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 it initially requires that you change the way you think. But how many of y'all know your whole life as a believer, repent, change the way you think, change the way you think, change the way you think. 
Now, I'm also going to say, give this disclaimer. If you're sitting here this morning and you've taken vacations before and that's been the reason that you've cited, don't think pastor's busting on you. I'm trying to give you some light here, okay? I'm trying to give you some light on some stuff. It says, change the way you think. Repent. Change the way you think, therefore, and be converted so your sins may be blotted out. What's the rest of it say? So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. As believers, and, and, and understand this, remember fainting, you know, if we talk about fainting can be you're deprived, you can be deprived of nourishment, your, your blood sugar can drop, and you can faint, something can happen in your body, there, you can be nauseated to the point of fainting, right? Some things can happen, you can become exhausted and fatigued and faint, right? And so, these, so fainting, okay, if you refresh, yourselves, and you're looking for times of refreshing, for the believer, our times of refreshing are supposed to come from the presence of the Lord, not the presence of Mickey Mouse. For believers, our refreshing should come from the presence of Lord, from the presence of the Lord, not from the presence of, you know, the mountains, or wherever you like to go on vacation. Remember what I said, you should go on vacation because you want to get away with your family, you want to have, you want to make some memories. You want to have times that you know you enjoy stuff. And and I'll say this: you can take the opportunity while you are on vacation to seek refreshing in the presence of the Lord. But how many how many of us this has been the case? Just humor, Pastor. Okay, don't be hearing. Okay, listen to me. How many of you? And I'm gonna be. I'm gonna go ahead and raise my hand so y'all don't feel like I'm the pastor's hacking on anyone. Okay. How many of y'all have ever went on vacation, you've been physically exhausted or stressed about, or emotionally stressed about something and thought, oh God, if I could just get away. And you go on vacation and you spend a lot of money to go someplace where you, everything you buy, you're going to spend a whole lot of money for it. You're going you're to pay $5 for a bottle of Coke that you'd smack, the, <laughs> you'd smack the clerk right in the mouth at Flash Foods if they tried to charge you $5 for a, for a 20 ounce bottle of Coke. You'd be like, that's ridiculous. But we'll go on vacation. We'll spend a lot of money to go on vacation to some place to spend a lot uh, to pay a lot more for stuff than what it's worth. The prices that you'd never pay in place else. And we get so caught up in the activities and running to do this and running to do that. And I got to do this. And, and after all, I paid for it. We got to take this. I'd, I'd be wasting my money if I didn't go to. And you run here and you run there and you do this activity and that activity and this activity and that activity. And then next thing you know, oh my God, he says six days went by already. And you got to you know get back to wherever you're going and get back in your car and drive six, eight, ten, eleven, twelve hours, whatever. And then when you get back, you are so you're more wiped out than what you are when you went in the first place. That, how many of y'all know that's deception? Because if you went and you did that and you didn't deal with the issue, if you went and you didn't spend time getting in the presence of the Lord, the same junk that was there that drove you to that point before you went and wasted your time and your money and your energy and exhausted yourself and drug your tail back to your house so wore out you couldn't unpack for three days... When all you needed to do was take some time and get over in the presence of the Lord, take some time and pray, separate yourself, pray. I'll guarantee you some people and some of you, 
you could get more refreshing spending two hours praying in tongues, going someplace and praying in tongues for two hours than you could be out of town for seven days and spending $5,000 to do it. That being said, understand what Pastor Pastor is not saying don't go on vacations. I'll say this, go on vacation, take the nicest vacation that you can go on. Amen? Eddie, next time get the penthouse suite. Get one with two beds so me and Pastor Shane go. No, I'm kidding. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But don't let the devil, don't let your motive for being going on vacation be, oh, I just got to get refreshed, I just got to get refreshed. This is the thing. Get refreshed and then go on vacation. How's that? You'll enjoy your vacation a lot more. Get in the presence of God. Whatever it is that's stressing you out and whatever it is that is causing you to want to faint. This, this issue with my children, Lord. This issue with my job, Lord. This issue with my family. Oh, Lord, I'm just I'm about to... Get in the presence of the Lord. Get refreshed in your spirit. Amen? Get His Word, speak His Word, pray the Word, stand on the Word. I'm not going to budge off of it. I'm casting the care on You, Lord, every time the thought comes up. I can't do nothing about it. Lord, it's not mine. You're going to take care of it. I found Your Word on it. I prayed Your Word. I'm getting and Just get yourself refreshed. And then go on vacation and have the best vacation you can because you're going without any junk, right? Because you got refreshed before you went. Right? Amen? So, so if you want to be careful not to faint, you've got to take the time to get into the presence of the Lord. Amen. And that is and that is time spent in prayer. Our lives, we will be able to infinitely be more effective in the kingdom. You will be infinitely more effective on your assignment. Amen. On your job. I'll say this. Amen. On your on your work. Huh? You'll be more effective in your work because you understand your job's not your work. Your your work is your work is to do the work of the kingdom. Your job's just the assignment that God's given you to do your work, your real work. Amen? You'll be more effective in your work. You'll be more effective in your play. When you go to, to, be, uh, to, to recreate and to have vacation, because this is the thing. You're going to go and you're going to go and you're going to go and you're going to be already refreshed. And then guess what? You go on that vacation. You go on that cruise. You go to the beach. You go to the mountains. Whatever you do. And guess what? Because you're refreshing your spirit, you're going to be able to go and you're going to be able to have a good time. But guess what? God's got you there and, he, and, you, and you can do your work. Not your job. You can do your work even when you're on vacation. Because you've already went and you've been refreshed and God uses you as an ambassador of the kingdom to go and you're going to be ministering to other people. Amen? Amen? But it comes from seeking God and being in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Understand this. I told you, I'm going to preach some this morning. Glory to God. I'm just going to go ahead and preach. Is that all right? I'm going to preach. James, turn your Bibles to James chapter 5. So we're talking about prayer. Jesus said to pray. Amen? Jesus said to pray and not faint. Don't get weary. Don't get burned out. Why? Because this is back to what... Y'all thought I forgot what I was originally talking about. Why? Right? Is that God works uses a man to work on earth. This is why your prayer life is so important. Because God needs a man to work upon the earth. Huh? Without God, we cannot. Without man, God will not. I'll say it again. You can write it down. Without God, we cannot. Without man, God will not. God will not do anything. And you understand this. If you, if we believe, don't fall into the trap of thinking, God's going to do whatever God want to do. Because when you start swallowing that pill, huh? 
How many of y'all ever saw the movie The Matrix? You can raise your hand. I won't condemn you. Amen. You might say, oh, Pastor, I saw it years ago. The Matrix. Okay? So, you know, the red pill and the blue pill, right? Was that what it was? A red pill and a blue pill? And how many of y'all know? I can't remember which one it was. He, he took the one pill and it altered his... It, 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 like it took the blinders off of his eyes to what reality was. You know, the movie The Matrix, right? He took the pill. Amen? If you, all, if you swallow the pill of, you know... God's going to do whatever God wants to do. If you swallow that pill, then prayer becomes a very unimportant thing. Prayer becomes a very insignificant thing. Prayer becomes a very ineffective thing. Because you can go up and you can stand and you can pray a nice little prayer as nice as you want. And then and cap it off with, if it's your will, Lord. And guess what? Because you might have went through it and prayer becomes a religious thing that you go through. It's a religious ritual that you go through. When you swallow the pill, God's going to do whatever God wants to do. Okay? Then it becomes just a religious ritual you go through because this is the thing. You're going to pray, but in the back of your mind, you're going to be th- in your heart, you're going to believe, well, you know, I prayed, but in the end, God's going to do whatever He wants to do. And so, that relieves us of feeling any obligation to pray. It makes prayer seem like just a, it reduces the most one of the most powerful tools in the believer's at the, at the believer's disposal to being something that, you know, well, it's just God, you know, que sera, sera. How many of y'all know what that means? Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Right? And so, and you understand this, it doesn't take no faith to pray that way. Nothing. Not any faith at all. Que sera, you know, I'm going to pray, but in the end, God's going to do whatever He wants to do. When God's plan is, take the other pill and... Take that pill, and it's going to alter your perception. Uh, it's going to alter your perception of what you've perceived to be reality, and you're going to realize, wait a minute, God's given man authority upon the earth, and even though it was lost, Jesus Christ got it back. So now I can begin to walk in the same authority that that God gave Jesus, because Jesus was the second Adam, right? And if I pray and I speak the word of the King, and I'm praying out what the King's already expressed is as is His will then it's going to happen on the earth. It's, things are going to change. Things are going to move. And this is the thing. And I'm not going to faint. I'm going to keep myself encouraged in the Lord, right? <clears throat> James chapter 5, verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Listen to the rest of it. It says, Elias uh, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and, heaven, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. <clears throat> I, I, can't, I can't really go into this in a lot of detail. You understand that what, what he, Elijah prayed for, that there be no rain, you understand there's the written Word of God, and then there is the spoken Word of God that the Spirit speaks to you. Okay, he could, you can't find chapter and verse in the Bible where God told him. He said, "If you'll pray, you know, if you'll, this is my word, and if you speak it, there won't be any rain on the earth." Right? You can't, you can't not do that. But he had obviously prayed, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and gave him word. What are you saying, Pastor? Without getting into a lot of detail with it right now, because I don't have time to talk about it right now. You can pray something, and the Holy Spirit speaks something to you that isn't specifically spoken in the Bible. Now, understand this. It's always going to be... It's never going to contradict the Word. It's never going to contradict God's Word. But you understand, there are specific things in your life 
that you may be praying and the Holy Spirit may give you a word on it that you can't go find chapter and verse. Well, the Bible says in James chapter 13, you understand there's no James chapter 13, I'm just saying Jimmy, Jimmy chapter 13. The Bible says in Jimmy chapter 13 verse 5 that da-da-da-da-da, okay? But you can pray and the Holy Spirit can speak something to your heart that is in line with what the word of the king is already said and the general expressed will of the king in his word. And when you get a revelation of that in your spirit, then you can latch onto that like a bulldog and say, mm, this, is what the, this is what the spirit spoke to me. It lines up with the word, and I'm going to stand on this because the spirit gave this to me. Okay? That, that's all I'm going to say about that. But you understand this is that, that, Jane, that, that Elias, when he prayed, that the heavens would be shut up. That's obviously what he was operating on, okay? Because he couldn't find anything in the Word that spoke specifically to him commanding the rains not to come. But the point is, the point is, is that this man prayed and his prayers affected the, the, the rain, the weather patterns. Huh? And you understand, this is the man, he wasn't born again. And he wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost as we know being filled with the Holy Ghost. But his prayers shut up the heavens. Hmm? The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man, a man who is in right standing with the governing authorities, avails much. Who's the governing authority? Our king. Amen? And so when we pray, we have tremendous power available to us. Amen? And this is, and this is what I want to say. I'm, I'm going to try to wrap this up. I'm going to bring, bring this in is that, um, you know, and I have... How many of y'all know you should always be, whatever you believe, you should always be willing to give Scripture for what you believe? If you believe something, and I've done this, I figure this, there's stuff still coming down the pike probably that I'm going to get some information on. Um, but have you ever heard say, sacred cows... Make the best hamburgers, right? Amen? Uh, you know, there's a, a doctrine, and, and a lot of people are probably going to get pulled into it this week. And this is, like I said, this is where I'm going to tie this up, this National Day of Prayer. Is, there, you understand there are whole movements of people like this, and I'm saying this knowing this. this is, there's probably going to be some people that they're going to go tilt, okay? But write it down, pray this, you know, pray about it, study this out. There's going to be some people that are going to get that are in movements now. They're going to say, "Well, we're going to pray for our nation, and we're going to confess the sins of our nation, and we're going to repent." Okay, first of all, there's no example in the scripture of anybody repenting for their nation, because do we understand repent? Repent means change the way you think. I can't repent for Brother Kirk. I can't change my mind for Brother Kirk. Brother Kirk has to change his mind. Okay. They confessed the sins of the nation. Okay, let me read something to you real quick. I'll, I'll just read it to you. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 11 says, And, and Nehemiah said, I pray, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, that you keep your covenant of mercy to those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now. Uh, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which they've sinned against you. Notice that Nehemiah did not say he was repenting for the sins of the nation. <clears throat> when you go to pray this week, I'm, I'm going to say this, and this is one of those Selah things, because I know some of you, I had to Selah on this. 
when Nehemiah, when Daniel, when Ezekiel, when the other prophets, when they prayed for their nation, who were they praying for? They were praying for Israel, the children of Israel. The children of Israel were God's covenant people. You notice that when Nehemiah prayed, who was it? Nehemiah was the king, was the cupbearer of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes was the uh, was he the Persian or the Mede king? He was the Persian king. Notice Nehemiah did not pray for the Persians. Follow me here. He was not praying for the Persians. When he prayed for his when he prayed for his nation, you understand this. The the word nation is, as we understand it in our in our vernacular now, to understand to be like a nation state, like we understand the United States as a nation and, and, and a nation state speaks to uh, uh, defined borders and a set rule of government and uh, a set government and set borders. That's what we understand as a nation now. That ter- the term nation did not mean that until around, I don't know, was it 1648 or something like that, the Treaty of Westphalia. That's your little history lesson today. Okay, the Treaty of Westphalia established what is understood now as the contemporary nation-state. And so when we say nation now, we think that it means clearly defined borders and a, and a government over it. Before that, and actually in the Bible, when it says nation, it means ethnos, where we get the term ethnic, ethnic from or ethnic group. So when it says nation in the Bible, it's saying ethnos. You understand before the nation-state concept, all the times when Jesus, or excuse me, when God the Father spoke to Israel, the people of Israel told him, said, I'm going to make you a holy nation. I'm going to make you a nation unto me. He's saying, I'm going to make you an ethnic group unto me, which he still had kingdom of because kingdoms back then were based on people's ethnicity and their ethnic group, Right? Land of Canaan, when they went in, you know, they had, they had you know, the, the king of the uh, Amalekites and the king of the Hornites and the king, and the and nations w- then wasn't based on borders and form of government alone. It was based on the ethnic group of the people in it. Okay? So you follow me? So when these prophets were praying for their nation, they were praying for their ethnic group, which was Hebrews, which was God's covenant people. Amen? And so, Old Testament type and shadow, New Testament church age, what does that tell us that when we pray and we confess the sin, you know, and they confess the sins, they didn't repent for the nation, they confessed the sins of their people. Well, what's our nation? The church. Amen? Let's see here real quick. 1 Peter 2.29 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, ethnos. A holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. Philippians 4.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You understand this? Is that I'm going to read this next, this next verse. 2 Corinthians 5.20 now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray in Christ's stead that you be reconciled to God. Understand this. Ambassadors are the citizens of a country other than the one they live in. We live in the United States of America, but we, our citizenship is in heaven. Huh? Our citizenship is in heaven, and, and 
and the ambassadors represent the interests of their home of their home country, or they get recalled. This is Communion Sunday. For this purpose, many of you are sick, and there's many sick, sick and weak among you, and many have died. A lot of ambassadors have been called home to the home office early because they were not seeking the interests of their home government. Selah. Pause and think about that. And so this week, when we go to pray, and it's a national day of prayer, and I'm telling you, and like I said, some of you see law on this. When you pray for your nation, your nation is the church. And I've said this before. As the pulpit goes, so goes the church, and as the church goes, so goes the nation. The problems that we've got in our country right now are because the pulpits and the churches have strayed from God's Word. And so when we pray this week, pray for your nation. Your nation is the church, the ecclesia. Pray for your nation, but then, but then understand this too. It is scriptural. First Timothy chapter two verses one through four tells us to pray for the leaders of the of the countries that we're in. Okay, as an ambassador of Christ, isn't that what Paul isn't that what Paul said in that verse we read just out of Second Corinthians? As an ambassador in Christ, he said, you know, if we're interceding for you. What did he say? He said, he said, uh, now then, as ambassadors for Christ, as though God. Did uh, as through as though God did beseech you by us, if we pray for you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. So as we pray, we're praying as ambassadors, trying to reconcile, praying that the people would receive. Because you understand this, God's already reconciled the whole world to Himself through Jesus Christ. What we need to pray is that people will receive it. And so this week, as we pray, understand the effectual, uh, fervent prayers, huh? of a righteous man avails much. We need to pray for the church. Amen. Pray this. Pray the Ephesians prayer. Pray the Ephesians prayer for the church. Pray for wisdom and revelation. Pray what the Lord Jesus commanded the churches, uh, one of the churches over in Revelation, when he, said, he said, return to your first love. When you pray for your nation, understand this, the church is your nation. Then we can pray for the leaders of the nation in which we serve as ambassadors. Amen? Praise God. I'm going to stop right there, but you continue. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and read that. Because this is the thing, and don't think that this is just an empty ritual. Your power, your prayers are powerful. Huh? Because this is the thing, oh, but pastor, if I could just be righteous. God's already declared you righteous. Huh? You might, that doesn't mean you're perfect. And that, doesn't, and that might not mean that there's not areas of your life that you might not, might not need to repent and change the way you think. But God has already declared you righteous. The blood of Jesus covers your sins. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You have been brought into covenant with God. You've been brought out of the kingdom, the, 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 the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And God says, you are righteous. And when you, when you pray and you pray the word of the King, because of, of your righteousness, there's tremendous power available in your prayers. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come.